0: Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Good morning, and after all that exciting world news, it's time for some tech news. Also pretty global, lots of stuff happening globally. Though, as I said before, come July, everybody's on their way out because most of the tech stuff happens in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, everyone's on holiday at the moment or will be on holiday fairly soon. So, interestingly, what has happened? Finally, Facebook has now topped 2 billion users globally. 2 billion users. And I mean, put that into context. That is so huge that um, basically we are talking about at least 50% of the population of people with smartphones are now users of Facebook and of the entire connected universe. It's an incredible amount. I mean, it's almost impossible to understand that one social media platform has that many users, the next closest social media platform. And it's not actually a social media platform per se it's more of a consumption consumption platform and that's google's youtube they recently announced that they have 1.5 billion logged in users a month while instagram which again is a full-on platform very visual and was touted as the next big thing has 700 million poor twitter Twitter, something we all, uh, us in the industry, people in the media industry and the entertainment and tech industry, think Twitter's just the business. Unfortunately, is struggling along with only three hundred and twenty-eight million users. Shame, poor Twitter. Well, there has been a challenge. I mean, I use Twitter as a news feed. I follow interesting magazines. I follow interesting people. I tend to keep it fairly clean, and I curate my feed quite well. So I get stuff I want to listen to. I don't. Want, I don't hear about people's breakfasts. I don't hear about their lunches, and you know what they're doing with the dogs on the weekend. You know, going for little walks in the park. Though Instagram tends to give me a lot of that stuff, but it. I find you know Twitter a really useful. A medium for that but there is no question that Facebook is the big daddy by a huge margin I mean who out there does not check Facebook at least once or twice a day, or sitting by the TV in the evening, scrolling on their smartphone, checking out what's happening, and uh, you know, vicariously living through all their friends, family, and associated people who are traveling the world, eating in interesting places, and just posting fake news because it seems interesting. I mean, we've discussed that, um, but it is a huge milestone and it's a huge. Connection between an unbelievable amount of people. And I know a lot of people have said that, you know, Facebook is taking away from connections and people are more connected than ever, and yet they don't seem to be, you know, as close to people that they know. And I actually think that's not true. I mean, there are so many people that I've known in my life, and you lose contact. They move countries, they move towns, they move homes, they move jobs, and you never hear from them again, you never see them again. And through Facebook, you connect, and sometimes you meet in real life. Other times, you just see what they're up to, what the kids are doing, what they're doing, and it's cool. They see what you're doing. So I think Facebook has an amazing place, and used correctly, I think it can really bring people together and certainly open up your life and their lives to what's going on. All the other stuff that goes on Facebook is a whole other story. And that's another news item, and I'm not sure – to be honest, if it's good news, bad news, or just news news. But I think we'll have to discuss that straight after um, this little break. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Hi there, and welcome back. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Microsoft have joined forces to battle extremist content online. This hit the news the last couple of days. And it's a huge deal because, as we discussed, with 2 billion people um, connected to Facebook. And, I mean, when you start adding it up, people are multiply connected. You've got three or four different platforms on your phone. You tend to switch between them. So there are probably anywhere between 3 and 5 billion connections to social media Can platforms across the globe at any one time, multiply. And of course, there's good stuff coming of it. All the cute kitty pictures and you name it, there's tons of good stuff. But there's also a really dark side to social media, unfortunately. But there's a dark side to the world and that stuff also tends to get spread at, you know, lightning speed across the world via these various platforms. And the biggest challenge for everybody is to somehow stop or block or or track or deal with extremist type uh, content that is really hopelessly inappropriate, often depending on the territory where you are completely illegal and often insightful of, of hate and hate speech and you name it. It's just unbelievably difficult. And the biggest challenge around the world, I mean, we talk net neutrality, we talk You know, the Internet is a free place where people can go. Many countries in the throes of political upheaval have cut the Internet across the world. It's happened. It's happened in uh, Turkey. It's happened all over the Middle East. And they just simply cut the Internet. There are ways around it, and they found some interesting (laughs) solutions for that. But the fact is that social media is seen as a huge threat for good or bad. And the amount of really bad stuff, the whole ISIL-ISIS issue has, has really grown into a massive thing, recruiting, how to build your own bombs, and more and more governments insisting that they have encryption keys to the various platforms so that they can, you know, stop all this stuff. But anyway, the big boys in the industry have got together and said, look, they need at scale without having people to um, curate absolutely everything because that would slow the the, the business to a crawl. I mean think about it. Two billion people are connecting at any point in time. Good percentage are posting at any given time. There's absolutely no way that any human intervention is possible on a platform that big and scales that quickly. So websites and were one thing, but once you're on a social media platform and you're sending out information, it really needs to be handled on a machine level. So the rise of massive artificial smart type I'm going to stop calling it artificial intelligence, but the rise of smart algorithms, the rise of smart platforms and machines that allow these various um, major plat- you know, media uh, media and uh, type platforms to to detect stuff, are starting to get really quick and really good. So Facebook, for example, are using they call it AI, but it's smart uh, algorithms. What they do is they match images. This is the first thing they do, is they have a database of images. Um, so if someone tries to upload a terrorist photo or a video, the system looks through those images and matches it against known terrorism photos or videos and blocks it immediately. The other thing it tries to do, and this way it gets really complex, is these systems are learning to understand text that might be used for advocating terrorism. So they experiment they are experimenting and actually doing it of analyzing the text in real time as it is posted and removing um those that praise or support known and listed terrorist organizations like ISIS and Al Qaeda. Um, and they're gonna try to get this smarter and smarter and smarter and hopefully these algorithms as they learn will get cleverer and cleverer and cleverer. And what they also try to do is they try to highlight clusters of of types of, of websites or pages. Pages, groups, posts and profiles that support terrorism and try to get rid of them or block them or switch them off. The biggest challenge with all these things is that it is really, really difficult to know what is good, what is bad. And I mean, all of us have heard stories around you know, people who've been blocked simply because they've got a name that happens to be similar to a name that exists um, on a platform somewhere else. So, there's a real danger in this, as the as these platforms try to self censor, self censor their own information, as they try to control what is out there uh, more and more. There's the huge danger that either governments or regimes will start using this platform in a a negative way. In other words, back to good old censorship using an algorithm. And no one wants to get there. Everyone expects, certainly in the, the modern world we live in, to be able to have Certain and inalienable rights around the freedom of expression, so I think it 's a great move. I think the type of extremist stuff that has been posted online is hugely damaging. It tends to focus on certain groups and create enormous problems and fan the flames of racism we 've seen it in south Africa and I think it 's a good thing that the various platforms take this seriously and deal with it effectively. The danger is that this these type of systems these type of platforms, these type of solutions can Actually, be used to tailor the message, to send you the information that they want to send you, they being the whoever they may be, be it a government, be it an organization, be it the Facebook people themselves, it could very easily be used to do it. And in fact, Facebook have got into trouble for trying to send only positive messages to a certain selection of people and see how they respond online, and vice versa, send only negative messages or highlight negative messages in your stream to people and see how they respond online. And that that particular thing got, uh, that particular little research project got Facebook into huge trouble. But I think it, it does make sense for all the guys, Facebook, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, and all the guys to get together and to try to get rid of some of this really mad extremist stuff online. And talking of extremist stuff online, and uh, unfortunately we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the other hot news, or not such, great hot news, um, is that there's a new ransomware threat out there. It's called the Petia virus. Now, in truth, if anyone's had... Uh, any experiences with us with ransomware? They'll know that this is the most insidious, horrible thing that could ever happen to you. You click on a link, the next thing your screen locks up, and a little warning pops up saying, um, "You know, we've locked your screen. Terribly sorry. Pay us two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, whatever it is, and uh, we'll send you an encryption key, and you can unlock your data." Well, unfortunately, the news coming out of this Petya virus, which which suddenly, which actually came out of a Ukrainian. Um, software producer an accounting software producer called Emmy doc they deny it they say someone somehow piggybacked and got this virus into a couple of their updates but the simple fact is it shut down masses amounts of um, companies across the globe but what they've discovered is that because certain um encrypt- encrypted cryptocurrency like bitcoin have stopped allowing them to be paid through that platform um All of a sudden, you cannot get your – you can pay your money, but you're not going to get the encryption key, and you're not going to unlock your files. So honestly, we get back to the original story, which was simple. These exploits, these ransomware-type viruses are known. They know how they work. They've issued Microsoft, and all the guys have issued patches for their various operating systems where these vulnerabilities exist. And you have to, have to update your various platforms. You have to update your PCs, your laptops, and, um, you know, make sure that you have none of those vulnerabilities left, and you should have absolutely no problem with this. And the last thing is, if you do get ransomware, don't pay, because if you don't pay, it certainly helps to make sure that people do not uh, make money out of it. And if you don't make money out of it, the chances are they won't carry on doing it, but have a backup. Really and truly have a backup of all your important documents. Keep them in the cloud. Keep them in uh, some sort of off-site backup. Or keep it on-site on a hard drive, all your pictures, all your documents. If you've got to wipe your PC and start again, let that be your, the, your biggest problem. Someone can come in, reinstall Windows, reinstall Word, Put back your docs and off you go. No pain, no suffering, maybe a little bit of suffering because of the time taken. So really, these attacks are not going to stop. I think we're going to see more and more of them as we go along because they have massive impact and they do for some for some make big money. I mean, if a big company is locked out and they need to pay some money to get their, their data back, it's cheaper, in truth, than starting all again. So back up. Um, Do not pay. Whatever happens, do not pay. And update. If your systems are updated, you won't actually have a problem. You really will not get hit by these type of particular ransomwares and many, many, many others. So you unfortunately have to trust Microsoft on that level. And we'll be back with some gadgets and gizmos. This is my absolute favorite part of the show where I get, I'm fortunate enough to play with all sorts of um, different bits and pieces. And um, we'll be back right after this. Hi-Earth Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And this week, unfortunately, don't have any guests in the studio, don't have any interviews with some interesting people. I've got a couple coming in the next few weeks who'd be super, super interesting. So what I decided to do is look at a, a whole bunch of new little gizmos and gadgets that came across my desk that I've been reviewing and playing with just to get a sense of... You know, what they are, where they go, and uh, what they do. And one of the most interesting ones that uh, I've been playing with for the last few weeks has been the new iPad 9.7 inch. Now, what's interesting, um, the the tablet market, when they first released this iPad, our friends at uh, Apple, they completely, it wasn't a product that no one had ever seen before, but somehow they managed to get the tablet fully, fully into the mainstream and made it incredibly easy to do. What has happened over the last couple of years is that tablet sales have essentially stalled for lots of good reasons. First and foremost is that the tablets that most manufacturers made, certainly Apple, were so good that there was no compelling reason to upgrade them. It's not like a smartphone that every year or two gets old, gets worn, gets used day in, day out. It, the battery's gone. It's time for an upgrade. And each iteration is just so much better, faster, slimmer, bigger, you name it. There was really compelling reasons to upgrade your phone every couple of years. But tablets, on the other hand, um, never actually needed massive upgrading. My own opinion is that in the, in the um, Android space, the original tablets were were pretty much awful. The operating systems were clunky. The apps were horrendous, essentially. They were scaled up uh, from 4-inch or less than 4-inch smartphone apps to to massive 10-inch tablet apps, so they looked horrible. They didn't perform particularly well. Well, Android's come a long way, and the latest versions of Android, the Android 6 and Android 5 tablets, were really good, great quality. Samsung makes some outstanding tablets with fantastic functionality, um, stylus ability, you name it, and Apple have uh, definitely countered that with their iPad Pro range, but that left them with a huge sort of, I wouldn't say hole at the bottom, but they certainly had no, you know, they needed to do something, and so the iPad Mini 4, which they've not updated now for nearly two years, is still going, and still reasonable value. It's small, it has a seven-inch display, and it's really good quality. But the iPad 9.7, the standard traditional iPad, also hasn't had a real upgrade since the iPad Air 2, which came out well, about two years ago. Well, what they've done is they've launched a new, I, an, a new iPad, and it's simply called the iPad for a couple of good reasons. One It is a bit of a hybrid iPad um, at a a spectacular new price. They've dropped the price pretty much by 20% across the board and brought out a 9.7-inch classic iPad um, with the latest, well, not the very latest processor, but certainly a much updated processor, great battery life, great screen, and obviously, like all iOS devices, they run the latest um, operating system, all the time so that updates pretty much every time even the old i think some of the ipad air 2s they've gone incredibly slow and those are no longer updating but anything from the ipad air upwards and the ipad mini i think 3 upwards are still fully updating to the latest operating system and with with ios 11 coming in the next couple of months by sometime september i've been playing with it already and it's really interesting they've upped the ante in the tablet space by giving it pretty much pc-like ability but anyway back to um, the ipad air 2 or the ipad air 2 i'm getting confused with all these things it's very simple if you're looking for a new ipad if you've got an old ipad 2 if you've got an ipad even 3 or even the ipad 4 which came out just before the ipad air and you need to you know, update it, you want to pass it on, give it to a friend, give it to a, a kid, whatever it is, and you're looking for a new iPad. The new iPad um, 2017, for want of a better description, is an absolute knockout. They've dropped the price by a good one and a half, two thousand Rand over the previous generation. They have the processors faster, the screen's identical. There have been a couple of small compromises. One, there's no anti-reflective coating on the on the screen. Not that noticeable, but... Um, When you pick up the old or the older iPad Air 2, which is discontinued, um, you definitely can see that having an anti-reflective coating makes it a little bit easier to read in bright light. You don't get the same sort of uh, lighting reflections on the screen. That's a fairly small thing. Also, the iPad 2017 is fractionally thicker. It's, in fact, exactly the same thickness as the old iPad Air before the iPad Air 2. And you can feel it when you pick up the iPad Air 2 and you pick up the new iPad. It is marginally thicker. It is fractionally heavier. But other than that, it is faster than the iPad Air 2. And it it pretty much runs all games, everything you can throw at it, exceptionally. It comes with, obviously, the... um, the fingerprint reader, which is as quick and as fast as anything else out there, and on a whole range of memory options from what, 32 gig upwards. I would say a 32 gig is just not, that's the least expensive. Um, it's just not an option. I wouldn't go for it. I'd go for the 128, which is a couple of thousand five hundred more, um, but that is probably the sweet spot the 128 gig. And optional for additional money, of course, you can get the. Um, the cellular option or not. I don't, you know, generally I tend to use my iPad uh, when I'm at home or in an office or somewhere where there's always Wi-Fi, hotel rooms on planes. More and more of them have got Wi-Fi. So the Wi-Fi only option certainly does work extremely well for me. But um, if you do want something that's total standalone, the cellular versions are excellent. They run the latest version of the chips. They can run on LTE. They're fast, and certainly it gives you lots and lots of freedom. So if you're looking for a new iPad, if you've got any one of the iPad Airs or iPad Air 2s, probably not worth an upgrade. It's certainly not uh, compelling enough. It is faster, slightly slicker. Um, obviously, as the uh, you know, it'll probably run iOS 11 some demanding games a bit better. But it's not a compelling upgrade, something that you don't possibly need to do. But if you've got an old iPad uh, 2 or 3 or even the old iPad 4, this is a significant jump, much faster. Looks identical, but it is lighter, and it fits into all the older accessories, uh, which is a bonus. So you don't have to go rush out and buy new covers and new stands and whatever it is that you use. But it's still one of the best tablets on the market. It's going to get better and even more useful Uh, under iOS 11 but it's still one of the top tablets as far as I'm concerned on the market and a price that whilst reasonable is still not cheap somewhere from 5999 up to about 8999 if you need much more functionality and much more power than that you back into the iPad Pro range but those cost the price of a essentially uh, a good quality laptop and then you have to decide what it is that you need and what it is that you want we'll talk about that in another show but the ipad pro range is a whole another league in terms of the latest processes the latest screens there's no question the screens are better but this is without doubt probably the sweetest spot in terms of the tablet world it has all the benefits of ios runs the flawless ecosystem from apple um, the apps are outstanding Obviously optimized for iPad and um, essentially becomes a brilliant reader, browser, tablet, you name it, what you want to do with it. And it's uh, just a great and it's great value. The price has come down. The performance has gone up. Um, The small negatives like the slightly thicker and heavier build with lack of anti-reflective coating are things that you essentially will forget really, really, really quickly. The speakers work well, too. I must tell you, to watch movies on it is really great. Um, And that's why the 128 makes sense. If you're traveling, you can download a whole lot of movies from Netflix, from Showmax, whatever, and uh, play them directly or keep them stored on your your tablet for, for the kids, for yourself, for whoever. So that's the iPad 2017 interesting product. And it's just so interesting to see how the whole tablet world has changed or not changed and uh, slowed down in many, many, many respects. And the next little gadget that I've been playing with, which is really um, having lots of fun and uh, quite interesting. I've often been asked, you know, on the show a couple of months ago, a couple of shows ago, I reviewed a pair of b H6 headphones and I raved about their quality and how amazing it is to have a really good quality set of of headphones. And then I've tried the H9s, which are their Bluetooth version, which sonically are not quite as good as the H6s, but certainly got noise cancelling and really great quality. But we're talking about six to 9,000 Rand for a set of headphones. And a lot of people have said, you know, are there any decent quality Bluetooth headphones out there uh, for, for you know, significantly less money, things that people can afford? And yes, there are. I haven't played with a whole host of them. But what I have, uh, what did come across my desk uh, a couple of weeks ago well about a week ago and i've been playing with them a little bit uh, over the last few weeks uh, last week oh there we go and then guess what my phone decided to ring because i didn't leave it on silent very bad um very bad uh form i must admit Anyway, these wireless headphones that are talking about come from a company called iFrogs now it sounds like uh, interesting thing, but anyway, they're a are a well-known accessory company. Their products available across South Africa, pretty much everywhere, and these are the wireless um, the the wireless headphones, um, and. They're they're a standard little pair of Bluetooth headphones. They're called the iFrogs Coda, C-O-D-A headphones. Now, there's the in-ear versions, and there's the on-ear versions. And the on-ear version, which it's an M-O-P-E-P-009. Forget that. But you'll see them. They're the Coda uh, Bluetooth headphones, um, and they sell for a vast sum of 479 Rand, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, in this day and age. I mean, that's basically an evening out for two, and you've got your, uh, yourself a set of real wireless Bluetooth headphones with built-in microphone, and I've used them. Uh, listening to music, the phone rings, in comes a call, no problem. You simply answer the call by touching a button on the headphone, and uh, away you go. The sound quality was excellent. I could hear them, they could hear me, and the overall Build quality of the headphones is plastic. I mean, it's not outstanding quality, but for 479 rand, it's actually quite uh, quite hard to to really put premium metal and and leather and you name it. But overall, they are light, super light. They're on ear headphones. They fit on your ears. They don't go around, and um, they're pretty comfortable considering the the um, the the cost. The other real bonus is that they have about 10 hour battery life. And I must tell you, I've I've I tried that. All this electronics is causing havoc here. Siri was busy transcribing everything I said. I don't know what I said to get Siri going, but off it goes and does that. Um, So anyway, back to the uh, iFrogs coders. They have a 10-hour battery life, and I've tried that, playing music solidly for two, three, four days. I haven't even charged them again, and they're still going strong. Um, And they charge through a normal cell phone charger so or from your computer or anywhere using a standard micro usb cord you charge them up and off you go very very easy to pair they pair through bluetooth very quickly had no problem whatsoever There's and very minimal controls they've got an on-off control and they've got a volume control um, the only real fly in the ointment is one i don't know how long they'll last i think the The build quality is good, but not spectacular. But again, at less than 500 bucks. And you need to look around. I've seen them from 479 to about 600 Rand online. And in the stores, I've seen them up to 750 Rand, which I think is a bit much for this type of headphone. So look around online if you're keen. Um, they're great gifts for, for youngsters. They're great gifts for anyone, even to keep them as a spare set of, you know, wireless headphones. Having no wires is a major benefit. And if you're one of the lucky few who run around with an iPhone 7, you don't have a headphone jack. So wires on are sort of not an option. The other thing that it's 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 perhaps not as much a criticism as an observation is that the sound quality is okay, Uh won't go much further than that the bass is a bit monotone it's a bit thumpy sort of overwhelms a little but they're not shrill they're not bright and they're not screamy so they play pretty loud Uh, the bass is good fun for certain music and a little intrusive and annoying if you're trying to listen to a little bit of classical or jazz so if that's your style maybe these are not for you but if you listen to popular music want to make some phone calls do you know just wander around with a pair of headphones, listen to some music, they're actually pretty good. They're quite warm, quite smooth, don't get bright and shouty. Um, The bass is a little loose and warm and gets in the way quite a bit. And overall, the sound quality is good. What is interesting is that They've got a wired option, so if they go flat, you can plug them in and listen anyway using a cord. Um, And there was hardly – I could not actually hear much difference between Bluetooth sound and wired sound. Truth be told, I couldn't hear much difference between high-quality sound through my favorite lossless uh, provider called Tidal and uh, a normal MP3. That just gives you an indication of the quality. The sound was pretty much identical. So they're consistent across – all sources. They clear, the voices are nice, the bass is over a little overwhelming, the treble's fairly inoffensive, not not bright and and sharp like a lot of these can be. The build quality is adequate, but not stellar. But then again, put that in perspective. You're spending less than 500 bucks for a fully connected pair of Bluetooth headphones with 10-hour battery life, mic built in, can make calls, answer calls, do whatever you need to do. And there are no wires attached. So have a look. Have a look online. Just Google it. iFrogs Coda. That's frogs with a Z. Um, have a little look see what's what and uh, if you want a pair of inexpensive pretty decent looking they come a number of colors i've got a bright red one you're going to certainly stand out in the crowd um really interesting set and i frogs i've had a couple of products on them i've had some of their in-ear headphones i've had some of their accessories they do some interesting stuff and i think they're pretty good value for money that's the bottom line here they're not stellar they're not outstanding. You know no audio files can thoroughly enjoy them. The build quality may be a problem in terms of longevity, treat them with care. But overall, for the money, they're an outstanding little set of completely wireless headphones, and the 10-hour battery life is an absolute bonus. A lot of them don't last that long. And these are just a great way to get some music without all the wires and bits and pieces. Now, the last thing that I've been playing with, and it's actually helped me out no end, is something um, which a lot of people don't think about. And that is the brand new, uh, in fact, you'll struggle to get it. It's the Logitech Spotlight um, presenter. And It's something that everyone in the corporate world, everyone like myself who does consultancy spends time presenting to people um, needs. And it's just – I didn't even think about it. You know, you go to conferences, you go present to your your colleagues and you're either sitting behind your computer using your mouse to control things or they give you the silly little plastic clicker thing which generally tends to either not work or – You know, in in the middle and the most critical thing when you try to play a video, you try to do something, it just does not uh, behave. Well, this new Logitech Logitech device, it's not cheap. I'll warn you right up front. It's about one and a half thousand to two thousand Rand depending where you buy it. But it's called the Spotlight for a really good reason. One, it's not a laser pointer. There's no little annoying red light on it. Um, And there are only three buttons. There's a huge button in the middle which takes you through forward in your presentation and it works with everything. Apple, Microsoft, you name it. It's got Bluetooth, so you can hook it up to your phone if you want and use your phone as a presenter. You can look it up to your laptop. It also comes with a little USB thing built in. So it's a slim aluminum tube. The USB fits at the bottom. You pop it out, plug it into any computer, and you've got your own little presenter and it really is most, most useful. It also only has two other buttons. One's a back button, and one's their spotlight button. So what it does, it darkens the screen and creates like a a, a bright bubble, which is like an air mouse. So you can wave it around, highlight what you need to do, and then as you unclick it, it goes away. There's a lot more functionality. It can buzz you when you're running out of time. Uh, a lot of clever little functionality. And in many ways, it's really made my life a lot easier because it's mine, When I go present, I don't have to use someone else's odd clicker, uh, odd little presenter. It works with every time, everything I've plugged it into. On my own laptop, it has added functionality. It warns me when I'm five minutes away from the end of the presentation. It's just smart, clever, and completely unobtrusive. The only real issue for me is that it's an extremely expensive solution to a problem that not a lot of people have. But if you like cool gadgets, which I do, um, this is just a cool gadget. It doesn't do much, and yet it absolutely fades into the background when you're presenting. It doesn't get in the way. It doesn't mess you around. It just makes life a whole lot easier. So go and have a look at it. Logitech do a huge range of brilliant mice, keyboards, and accessories. And this is really just a smooth, slick, well-thought-out little gadget that, um, you know, just Throw it in your bag and keep it if you do a lot of presenting. It makes a lot of sense. And on that note, we're going to have to call it and break for a quick ad. And then we'll be back with some other interesting news and some interesting stuff that I've come across. We've got some new advances in mobile fixed internet. And we'll be back right after that. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Hi there and welcome back. And after playing with all these gadgets, what I realized is that, as per usual, they were all connected to some sort of Internet connection one way or the other. And something that I may – I can't actually recall if I've mentioned this on on, um, radio before, but there's a new player in the mobile data space in South Africa. They've recently rebranded themselves as Rain, but they grew out of the WBS iBurst Uh, crowd. Now, funny enough, my father still has iBurst at home and it works reasonably well. It's a one meg connection and allows a bit of mail and a little bit of surfing on the internet. Old word that, but still a bit of internet browsing and you name it um, at pretty reasonable price. And what happened is WBS was bought out by a new crowd and they have rolled out and have been rolling out over the last year a brand new latest generation 4G plus or LTE advanced network, You, depending on who you speak to, where it comes from. And apparently they've got 790 towers up in all the major metros already. And they expect to have at least 2,000 towers in the next year up and running and operating. And what is really interesting is that Vodacom have signed on to uh, use their network to offer Vodacom LTE advanced on the normal, you know, so if, you've got a, if you're a Vodacom subscriber, you won't even notice that you're roaming onto the rain um, towers for a simple reason. They have the spectrum. WBS for many years has had tons of spectrum. In fact, I think in some areas they've got uh, more spectrum than some of the mobile networks. And the biggest challenge the mobile networks have had in in rolling out advanced LTE high-speed networks. And this is the problem. You can get LTE with very little spectrum. Um, and that allows you to, it, it caps the speed. So the maximum you could get was 5, 6, 7 meg up and down, which is pretty much the same as the old 3G networks. A little bit more reliable, a little bit lower latency. In other words, the signal goes quicker, but not fundamentally getting close to what is possible with the latest 4G, 4G plus, LTE advanced and coming up soon the 5G networks. But now the rain network has got lots of spectrum. They're running it pretty much across the country. Your phone won't even notice that uh, it switches if you're on Vodacom. But what they have been doing is offering they've they signed up and they they gave IS the rights to uh, offer retail packages and two providers have signed up for it and it's actually very very interesting. Both um, Web Africa and um, M-Web have launched their latest packages on um, the RAIN network. And look, there's no question fiber is going everywhere. It's it's certainly taking over most of the northern suburbs and the sort of upper income areas in South Africa in the major, major urban cities. But what it doesn't do is get to some of the more underserved areas where 10 meg ADSL, if you're lucky, was sort of the best connection you could get, and also the pricing of standard LTE, the little dongles. Although Telcom have done a great job of getting the LTE dongles and the rest out there, um, you know, it 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 just didn't cover everything. Well, Rain have promised, and I must say, um, having a look at the new. Uh, offers from MWeb and Web Africa. Their pricing is good. Uh, somehow the internet in the studio is not working and uh, I can't get the exact prices. But what they've done is they've priced themselves about 10 15% lower than Telcom's LTE fixed offering. So, in other words, if you got yourself a little modem from Telcom, put it in your house at Instead of connecting to fiber or to LTE or to ADSL, you had a, an LTE connection, which for the most part I've found to be pretty outstanding in terms of speed and capacity. The only problem with radio always has been is that if the weather's bad, if there are lots and lots of users in your area, it tends to slow down quite considerably where um, fiber doesn't. But the new... Um, packages from MWeb. All you have to do is go to MWeb.co.za forward slash LTE if you're not covered in a fiber area. And they've got some really, really good packages based on the RAIN network at, at pretty reasonable prices. As I said, it's, you know, Telcom do hundred uh, gig for around about one two nine nine. They doing it at nine ninety nine. Rain, I must say, I'm a little disappointed. Rain promised massive savings and, dis- as usual, disrupt the industry with a whole new product. And what they've done is come out with products that are marginally, well, marginally two hundred rand a month, two hundred rand a month, but not significantly better than anything else out there. But these are available from both Web Africa and from um, uh, MWeb right now. How they perform, I don't know. I've actually asked them to give me uh, a bit of a trial. I will give it a shot and see if it is working and um, see how that uh, behaves over the next little while. But knowing how well LTE Advanced works, I would say that you'll probably find this is as good, if not better than anything else out there. Um, But certainly a lot better than ADSL or a lot better than 3G or other connections because it's optimized for multiple users. It's optimized for high speed. And the coverage is pretty insane. So if you go to their map, you'll see the lte Advanced map. It covers, from what I've seen, it covers most of the metro areas around South Africa. And uh, it's coming at a really reasonable price. So if you don't get fiber, I would highly recommend you have a look at it. Compare the prices between Telcom, see what deals they're going to come up with, because I'm sure they will, between Telcom um webafrica and mweb and you'll probably find you can get a really good deal on a really high capacity high speed network and then you can stream and you can do whatever the hell, whatever else that you want to do um on the internet at at you know approaching fiber speeds this is not quite as stable not quite as fast as fiber but ultimately LTE theoretically as i said last week Vodacom have got 500 meg on a Samsung Galaxy Note 8 or Galaxy oh, Note 8 not out yet, on the Galaxy S8 Plus. So, you know, massive speeds are possible. And the LTE network is software configurable, so that will increase and improve um, as you go along. So on on that note, um, it really is interesting to see where this is all going. It's always great to have additional competition in this space. It's not available as a mobile network as yet, other than through Vodacom, but again, you're not going to see that. You won't even realize you're roaming. It'll just... Little roaming thing will pop up, and suddenly you 'll be using their data, not uh, vodacom 's towers and it 'll be totally transparent. but this is a fixed network it 's a fixed network that will um, continue to roll out and get faster, and hopefully, as more and more people offer it, the pricing will get more and more aggressive but if you 're looking for a high quality um, low latency streaming for streaming, you name it product, I would say you 'll probably find these are excellent and are great alternatives. To uh, fiber and certainly far better than the old-fashioned ADSL. It's time ADSL just went away and died, Even though and uh, Telcom have actually confirmed they're going to do that. So on that note, we have to take a quick break for uh, an advert, and then we'll be back with some news about some apps that I've been playing with and some news from FNB. Hi, talk, talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Hi there, and welcome back. Well, F&B have been doing some pretty amazing stuff on their apps over the last little while. And in many respects, I must tell you, using their app on a tablet or on your phone is actually, I think, in some ways simpler, quicker and easier um, to um, do your banking than using their online platform. They've moved it really quickly ahead. And it's seamless, works with business. It works with your personal account. Just a great way to interact with the bank. And in fact, they're now incentivizing you. If you're an FNB client and you use eBucks, you, you know, move up. You can't get eBucks if you don't use your app every now and then. And recently they introduced a really useful little um, update where you can pay your traffic fines and renew your car licenses via the app. And I must say I've done both and I found it pretty seamless and easy. So simple, no problem, just makes a lot of sense. And now they've added something that in many ways Completely changes the game for me. Is data? Everyone's on about how expensive data is. Data is a real problem. A lot of people who do bank don't have data on their phones all the time, or they only connect when they're on Wi-Fi, and that really is a problem. So you'll find that people will tend to either go into the branch or go online and not use their mobile to do their banking. Well, what FNB have done, and they've struck a deal with all the networks, all the networks. This is really interesting. And all app usage through the FNB app will now be zero rated for data. So even if you've got absolutely no data on your phone or you've run out of data, um, you can actually do your FNB banking at no cost. And I think that's just brilliant because it's a no-brainer. It takes the pain and suffering out of it. If you've run out of data and you need to (laughs) go online to buy some airtime, for example, through the FNB app, which is really inexpensive, either using their own mobile platform or any other. Um, you can just go online to the app. No data is needed. costs you nothing. It's zero rated and it's available as of now. So it it's just smart. It's obvious and really the amount of data the app uses is probably negligible in the overall scheme of things. So it's great news for all you FNB app users and I think that's something you'll probably find that all the all the the banks are going to follow suit, and it just makes absolute sense one it saves them tons of problems in terms of people coming to the studio those that you know struggle who need to get to the bank to do their banking, make their payments, check their balances, whatever it is that you want to do with your bank and you 've either run out of data or you're you know you you're constrained in terms of how much data you want to use. This is just a brilliant way. To get them back on the app, doing everything they need to do via their mo- mobile devices, wherever you are, and uh, comp- it's a bit of a game changer. I think it's really smart, mo- smart, uh, a smart move from FNB. And expect to see more and more functionality in their app. So you can check your fines, you can pay your bills, you can renew your car license, um, you can top up your airtime. I mean, there's just a huge um, amount of functionality that's been built into the into the app. I mean you can even check out some of the eBucks retail partners through their augmented reality app that's built into their their app. So they really are pushing the boundaries and I think it's really really, really smart. And on that note, I'm going to call it a day. I think we've gone through tons and tons of stuff today, uh, lots of gadgets to follow, got some great uh, items that I've been playing with and I'll bring them all to you in the next week or two. And on that note, this is Stephen Ambrose right here on Hi for Tech Talk.